Hello everyone, Yolon Lou Smith here with you today and welcome to the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association APADA podcast. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. It gives me great pleasure today to sit down and catch up with Jason Raft. Welcome Jason. Good morning Yolon. Today we're all about production, technical and design. Jason is the owner of two companies, JLX Productions and Iceworks Design. JLX Productions is a technical solutions company for the arts and event industries. Jason's second company, Iceworks Design, designs, builds and delivers sets for television, theatre and the broader event industry. Thank you so much for joining us today for an Apata podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start at the very, very beginning, Jason. So where did it begin? Probably high school. Uh, I was I went to Banyul High School in Victoria, uh, and was uh, taught by a teacher called Peter Stevens in drama. Um, I can't say I was the best academic uh, on the face of the earth during that phase of my life, but uh, working in the theatre and working with uh, Pete Stevens really opened my eyes to uh, a whole range of activities that uh, sparked my interest far more than maths and English and and everything else. Uh, I started off acting uh, to begin with and then over time at school in particular saw that the technical crew seemed to be having a whole lot more fun than the actors were uh, and also uh, I didn't need to remember as many lines so I decided to take up uh, technical and uh, worked with uh, set design predominantly to begin with uh, building sets for uh, school productions and, and those sorts of things um, and then uh, as I came out of school I was also a member of the Scout Association and they have a long-running show called The Gang Show, uh, where they do large uh, theatre productions. Back in those days was the Palais Theatre or the National Theatre, a variety of theatres through Melbourne. Uh, and we worked in the lighting crew on uh, those shows and also had the opportunity to tour to um, the Philippines during that time uh, with Gang Show and have some quite amazing experiences doing shows over there. Uh, as all of that was happening, I also got involved through some family friends with a amateur theatre company in uh, Melbourne called Heidelberg Theatre uh, and worked fairly extensively, again, predominantly in lighting, uh, lighting shows and uh, doing all variety of other tasks as you do within amateur theatre. Uh, and again, at a very young age, got an opportunity to tour uh, to New Zealand with a show called Nicholas Nickleby, uh, which for those of you who don't know, is an eight hour show broken into two halves. Uh, so it was a it was a hell of an undertaking. I was working with uh, just a lighting operator at that point. Um, yeah, so that that was sort of where everything started for me. So how did rehearsal go for an eight hour production? Uh, very long, very long, and because obviously uh, everyone was yeah full time jobs and all those sorts of things, it was many lost weekends. But again, it was really uh, uh, an experience for me that sort of defined uh, my love for working in the area and the people that I got to work with. Uh, and at the same time got taught by some amazing people, some amazing mentors who uh, were in it for no other reason than they loved it. And I think that was the best sort of grounding, you know, similar to my experience at high school and at gang show. You're not surrounded by people that are being paid, you're surrounded by people that just want to do the job. Oh, excellent. And a philosophy I think you work on yourself today by while you're actually running a business and earning money from it, it's also that passion that needs to be held with the hours and whatnot we need to put in. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the big thing for me, again, 
you don't go into this job because you want to make a million dollars. You don't go into this job because you want to drive a flash car and live a flash life. You go into it because you because you love it. And uh, a thing that we use, uh, we say in amongst ourselves uh, at uh, JLX and Iceworks, uh, and in particular, try and drive home with the young staff is. Uh, you work in the entertainment industry, it should be just as entertaining for you as it is for the audiences that we work for. Oh, great. Um, I hear on the uh, grapevine that um, you had quite the ABC experience in your early young career. Can you tell us a little bit about getting into ABC, knocking on the back door? You didn't actually have a career where you went to university like most kids do, as well as volunteering and learning as they go. Um, very different um, back in what the late 80s early 90s where you were kick-starting off your career and I believe the ABC was one of your targets yeah absolutely uh, again through gang show some of the guys that uh, were working in the lighting department in that show worked at the ABC uh, I was lucky enough to pick up a work experience week uh, in the studios at Rip and Lee uh, and I was there the week that um, the crew were informed that countdown was being cancelled so I got to a to work on a show and, and watch Molly Meldrum and the producers tell everybody that uh, that the show had been canned and that was you don't quite realise at the time but you know in years gone by uh, sort of understood what that meant to the ABC and then uh, luckily enough when I finished uh, well didn't really finish high school but when I left high school uh, I was lucky enough to pick up a, a job at the ABC working as a camera assistant and a lighting assistant uh, dragging cables for shows like Counter Revolution The Big Gig. Uh, Doug Anthony All-Stars, uh, and shows of that nature also led me to work for Channel 10 for a period of time where I was working as a night rigger in the lighting department where we were rigging shows overnight for things like Colin Carpenter, Let the Brother Run Free, um, uh, Neighbours, all sorts of things. And it was a truly bizarre job because we were, we'd were we start at sort of midnight, 1am, and, and work through the night in an empty television studio. Uh, which was fun in and of itself and, and a really interesting learning experience for me as well. So learning as you go? Always, always. Uh, the, the advantage of working in particular somewhere like the ABC, they're heavy, uh, heavily driven by trying to improve your skill base and putting you across as many things as they possibly could. Uh, I, you know, I worked on shows like That's Dancing, which was a ballroom dancing show, and at you know, 17, 18, working on... Something like that was a truly bizarre experience because, again, it was a section of life that I'd never really paid any attention to, didn't know it it existed. Uh, I did follow spot for uh, the final scene of Strictly Ballroom uh, and the big dance scene, which was, again, a truly bizarre experience, my first experience in a big film, uh, which was fun to watch and, and fun to be part of. Uh, and then probably one of the stranger ones was uh, Countdown Revolution uh, had a competition where they asked for someone in a regional area to um, uh, enter and, and sort of let us know whether uh, they wanted, if they could get uh, Countdown Revolu Revolution to come to their to their town and we ended up going to a town called Chinkapook which is uh, in country Victoria uh, outside of Swan Hill which has basically got you know five buildings and some grain silos. And, uh, yeah, we spent a, a week out there putting on a show and then went live to her on a Friday. And, again, as a young technician, it was just a truly bizarre thing to uh, to experience. And I think the headline of the time, to give you an idea of when it was, was uh, Andrew Ridgely, the 2IC of Wham! at 
one point in the late 80s had one hit song and, uh, yeah, he was the performer of choice for the end of the show. So yeah, it was a truly bizarre experience. And uh, a, a depth of learning, I'm sure, that uh, you possibly can't get through the university today. You get on the other side coming out if you're really lucky. Absolutely. The... the the ability for, for some of the young technicians and young designers and builders and things to have those sort of experiences now really don't exist because of the nature of the way the industry's changed. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that's for the good, but some of it, are, some of it I think, we've lost the ability to connect. Uh, and I think the integration between tertiary learning and the industry is not functioning 100%. It really does need some work to be able to create those sort of experiences that myself and the other people of my generation within the industry had. So, uh, yeah, there's there's work to do in that space, but there's some people doing some really interesting things, which I think you know, at least offers some opportunities for those young kids that may not necessarily be uh, driven to a point where they can get into a university or, or afford it, but still have the ability and the drive to be part of the industry. Yeah, because working as a, as a technician, sometimes having been in shows and whatnot myself and, and producing and working with a whole variety of skill in order to put something together and present that to an audience, sometimes and more often than not, you've got kind of the raw end of the stick. So if that person isn't organised, they haven't got all their production schedules, thinking about all the ta- uh, technical capability that's required, let alone being on tour in the middle of nowhere, which probably just doesn't have all those resources that you need in order to, you know, roll into town, set up a show in three hours, let's go everybody, let's bump it out and then move on. Not necessarily the nature of your job. So while that is perceived as what technical production does a lot, there is a lot of resourcing that's required and a heck of a lot of you know problem solving as you go, especially when you're on the ground and you're on the run. Absolutely. I think the, the big thing that you know, my early career taught me, and again, luckily enough by the mentors that I, that I had, is you've got to be an agile thinker. You're going to be presented with a huge amount of uh, interesting uh, situations that you need to solve in order to do the thing you do. Um, you're always the first one in the building, you're always the last one out. Uh, in a tour situation, you never know venue to venue uh, most of the time whether things are going to work the way you want it to work, but at the end of the day, the audience still needs to see the same show. Uh, and it's up to the technicians, uh, stage managers and everybody else to try and pull together an experience that delivers the, the performance for not only the audience but also the performers as well because you know they've got a really hard job to do and we're there as a as an engine room for them to make sure that when they walk on stage they're comfortable and able to give the performance that they need to give. Yeah, it's it's a whole team coming together and I don't think sometimes that's fully realised, is it, that all these different components and all these different people, um, the weight and the worth of, of their input is critical to the opening of that curtain. Yeah, absolutely. I, look, there's a there's a huge track of the industry in, uh, that work really well in collaboration with both technical and, and uh, performance. Uh, but there's also at the same time as you go through your career, I've been doing this for 30-something-odd years now, um, there's also a, a group of people within the, within the space that have little respect or knowledge or understanding of what it takes to technically produce a show. Uh, and sometimes those situations can be really difficult to manage for a, for a technician or an operator, uh, but you do your best to try and make that situation function and hopefully at the other end what you've done is help educate the person that you're working with that a little bit of pre-production, a little bit of thought process, a little bit of understanding and, and also a little bit of respect for the technicians makes for a better outcome because, uh, again, we're not there at the front. We don't get the applause. We don't get any of those things. Uh, but if we do our job right, they look good 
they get applause. They are the ones that uh, benefit from the work being done in the background. And, and hopefully for us, what that means is we get hired the next time that person goes out or the next time that person wants to do a job. That's right. And it's one of those things like you think about as a, as a performer or an artistic director or a producer, opening night, you know, the palms are a little bit sweaty. How's this going to be received? Everyone's nervous. Um, have I, you know, got my transitions right? Are the lines down pat? Are the jokes actually going to get a response from audience? But I think quite often we forget that we've got technical production on either side of stage right and stage left that are calling the show, pushing the buttons, making all the atmosphere and whatnot work and sitting in the bio box. And their palms can be just as sweaty as they're pushing buttons and making sure that this is seamless and perfect for everybody on stage as well. So a big part of our industry and what our industry needs to do and working together. So let's talk JLX. At what age did you decide I am stepping out and I am starting on my own? I've got all this wealth of experience and knowledge. I've had some really great trainers and I'm going to kickstart my own company. I don't know about wealth of experience. It might have just been youthful exuberance and a little bit of stupidity. I, I don't, I'm not sure of the mix of the two things. Um, but basically uh, a group of us, I'd, I'd moved to Brisbane uh, when I was twenty twenty one to head up a, a hire company, uh, which was, uh, again, a truly strange experience coming out of working in Melbourne to moving to Brisbane, quite a big cultural shift as well. Uh, and I've been working here for a couple of years across a variety of businesses. Uh, I had made some really interesting connections with some people. Uh, one in particular, a gentleman called Jason Organ, who's now the uh, technical director for Circa. Um, uh, he and I hit it off. We were very much aligned in the way we thought and how we thought the work should be. We'd worked for a lot of companies that uh, had considered their staff a consumable, not an asset. Uh, and at the age of around sort of 26, 27, we were freelancing and, and working around town for a lot of the production companies and we just sort of came to a point where we sort of said we'd much prefer to be looking after each other and finding a way to create a sort of positive space for us all to work with him uh, and you know one afternoon uh, on a property Jason was living in we were sitting around in a on a back deck having a beer and a chat and uh, we just thought it would be a good idea Jason had already been sort of half using the name JLX at that point and we decided to take the leap and uh, get started. Uh, our very first job that we did uh, was for Stomp, the percussive touring show from the UK. Uh, we were working for an, another company. We just, you know, that was our first step out as JLX. We hired our first staff and did our first gig, and then it was sort of all on from there. And how many staff do you have on your team now? Uh, within JLX, there's about six full timers, uh, and then a huge tracker casuals based on the work we do and where we need them basically. So now in your career you're probably looking at people transition who have been in the industry a long time and they're transitioning out with other industries or just been in it for 30 years and maybe looking at retirement those types of things so now you're looking to the next generation to come in and feed those talents and keep that work going for um, JLX Productions and and I know that you attend a lot of um, student exhibitions that university hold where you go through and you look at people and you have a chat to these young students who are about to graduate and have a job what are you, what are you looking for and what are some of the conversations that you're having as as you're looking for the next person and to bring on and be part of the JLX team? 
It's funny, for for a long time, uh, and this is probably just a bad attitude of mine, I refused to hire anyone under the age of 30 because the people that were being presented to us didn't have the right attitude. Um, I don't need people that know how to operate every desk or know how to plug in every light or know how to, to do the job. We employ purely on attitude uh, and motivation. Uh, it's it's the only way to find the right people that suit our culture uh, our business is, is much more of a family than it is a, a workplace. Um, the nature of the work they do, they're working seven days a week, they're working strange hours. If we were to try and create a corporatized sort of environment, you wouldn't maintain the people you have. The industry already has a hugely transient uh, workforce. Uh, we've been lucky enough to keep uh, a lot of the guys with us. Some of them have been with us since we first opened the doors in '98. Uh, others have been with us for 10 or 15 years at a time. Uh, and that really comes down to the nature of the attitude uh, of the people you have within the mix, their willingness to collaborate, to work together. So when we're looking for uh, young technicians, we really are looking for the person, not the skill. Uh, recently, we've just brought on a, a young woman, Jasmine Kennedy, from uh, the QT technical production course. Uh, and the thing that set her apart was she didn't dress herself up to be a designer or a producer or a stage manager or anything else. All she wanted to be was a lighting technician. And on working with her, she did some secondment at the Brisbane Festival that worked quite a lot at. She was with our crews at the Spiegel tent. And she just had the same approach to the work that we do. Uh, and we felt she just needed the, the support and the, and the guidance to hopefully find the place for her to fit. And uh, in the last year and a half she's been working with us, uh, her skill base, her drive, her ability to work within the team has just been amazing. Uh, and she'll go places. She'll be quite a talented operator and probably quite a talented technician uh, over the years to come. But again, it's driven by her as a person, not her as a skill base, or her as a, you know a, a person who you know, delivers a specific you know set of button pushes within a show. I'm really not interested in any of that. I need to see who the person is. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? So technicians are together for a long period of time, working under some, you know, it can be really quite hard conditions, as you said, first in the door, last out the door, and that team needs to be a family because they're in each other's pockets a lot. So just for any students out there looking to go into technical production, just be mindful of the fact that, you know, the cultural fit as well as, you know, how much you know is just as important and how you work within your team. Because if you're passionate enough and you love it enough, then you can learn and you can do it. Absolutely. And this, and you, you may not fit with the first company you go and work for. That's the thing we say to people who come to work with us. You know, over the years we've probably had you know, three or 400 people at one point or another come through our doors, work for us or whatever. And the thing we found over time is you need to say to them, look, you might not necessarily fit our family. Not everybody fits into every single family. Not everyone gets on with everyone. Our industry, because of the nature of it, has a huge range of personalities and people. You're bound to find someone that you align with and can work with. And it's the understanding that in those early days, getting out as much as you can, experiencing as much as you can, even though some of the tertiary education elements don't push that too hard, it's important. Go and work for a hire company on the weekends. Prep gear, um, sweep floors, cut... Well, sorry, I was going to say cut gel. We don't cut gel anymore because we use LEDs. That's my age showing. But all of those things, all of those interactions, building yourself a network of people that are, that, that are there. And you'll find that... We want to support the future of our industry. We want new people coming in. 
Uh, but it seems super important that uh, you understand it's about building a relationship, not not building a, a, a job as it was. Let's talk Iceworks Design. So Iceworks Design for you came in, what, 15 years into having JLX up and running? Would that be around the right no, time? No, no, no. Uh, Iceworks now is about 17, so about five or six years into JLX being a thing. Wow. Um, and being a, a lighting designer, your current sort of process you're always surrounded by having to light things for other people and during the 90s uh, and the early 2000s uh, we were lighting a lot of lycra uh, a lot of stretch lycra all the time corporate shows theater shows just lycra 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 and i just got sick of it uh, i'd been working on and off on some shows with uh, a gentleman called gavin Hampstead, who uh, i got on quite well with and he was a set designer working in the production department of channel seven um, and uh, there was an opportunity for us to uh, open up a, a design company. Uh, we opened it up predominantly through a selfish need for me to want to light things that were more interesting than Lycra sets. Uh, we brought Gavin along shortly thereafter, uh, and from then till now, um, I've had plenty of opportunities to light things other than Lycra. In fact, I don't think we've touched Lycra for at least 10 years, which has been truly wonderful. Is Lycra banned? I'm not a mad fan. Again, you know when you get tainted by something early and then, <laughs> yeah, just you can't go back there again. So short of wearing Lycra in costume, that's it, people. That's it, yeah. No, nothing <laughs> will be in the set that's made of Lycra. So Iceworks has a really broad scope of work that you you cover and, and I mean, you're really quite a diversified unit of people here. And I'm assuming this is a whole different team to Dialex. Um, you've got designers, you've obviously got build team and quite broad with what you cover. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the two companies are, are completely separate. Um, Iceworks, just by the nature of the business itself, uh, needs to be as diverse as possible because we're in Brisbane. Brisbane is not the hub of all things, according to all people. Uh, so the ability to be able to stretch between theatre, television, brand, uh, events, uh, school musicals, whatever it is that needs to be designed and built, we'll throw our hand to. No, no job too big, too small. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. Uh, and managing those people and, and building that team has been a very different experience to... Uh, JLX, uh, predominantly because the nature of people within a creative space and then also within a build space uh, have two very different sets of criteria for how they like to work, how they like to communicate. So the last 17 years with them has been a, a really interesting process of finding a balance between you know, uh, keeping creatives uh, engaged and motivated uh, and at the same time the practicality of having to physically build and install things in venues. Uh, the advantage is there's a massive amount of practical experience with the crews from JLX working with the delivery team from Iceworks. Uh, JLX have a, a huge amount of experience within venues uh, and that's an invaluable sort of uh, information share between both businesses uh, to be able to practically deliver the things that we design and build. Uh, and, yeah, and with the designers, it's, it's a really interesting process and something I really enjoy because uh, it's an element of the designer in me uh, that's able to work with these guys and be constantly amazed by the things that uh, that they're able to create and then pass on to the build team and then the build team are, are able to make real. Uh, and for me, again, it, it really did bring home, as as really, Icewax really started to hit its straps and we started to work in a, a much bigger field. 
that uh, the whole theory behind what we started with was if it's not entertaining for me, then it's and uh, there's no point doing the job. Um, I really enjoy going to work every day. I never know what I'm going to be presented with by the design team. We've got some amazing uh, designers working with us and we've got some amazing builders uh, and amazing, you know, amazing project delivery people. Uh, and it's just exciting to see how they challenge themselves, what they do, how they solve problems, how they, uh, you know, create a, a crazy idea from a client into an amazing live breathing thing. As part of the IceWorks design portfolio and JLX, like you work a lot, um, you're in and out of universities a fair bit from my understanding. Um, one of your drives is to connect with um, teachers and lecturers and students because the better they are on graduation, the more um, skill and, and benefit and whatnot all goes towards the industry. And as part of that collaboration and connecting with those educational bodies, you've stepped out and you've started through Icework Design, the Emerging Designers Program. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, over my entire career, you work a lot with teachers and the teacher was the person who first got me started. Um, from working with dance schools to working with uh, the universities and everyone else, there's a big drive for us to have a positive interaction with all of them to try and create better options. Some of it is selfish because we want to have a better outcome from our business. The, the more we integrate, the, the better we do. Uh, and in the last five years, we had a huge amount of kids coming to us out of uh, the universities uh, wanting work experience with us. Um, as we were talking to them, as we are seeing what they were presenting to us, um, it showed that there was little or no understanding or connection to production design. Uh, but obviously it's an exciting space that, that people want to work within and, and people want to understand. So um, instead of talking about it, which I had been for a very long time and really not making the headway that I thought I would make by trying to interact with the courses, etc., we thought I thought, well, you know, I may as well just bite the bullet and do it myself and, and see what happens. So the Emerging Designers came about where what I wanted to do was to create an opportunity to help all these kids that we normally couldn't help in work experience because of the nature of the way our business works, uh, was to have an opportunity to get three young, motivated designers to come and work for us for a four-week paid internship. Um, and we give them a brief. They get to work with all of our designers and builders and logistics teams to take a, a brief that we create and then uh, present a, a design presentation at the end of it. Um, a big thing for me was when we were getting them to, to apply for the emerging designers is I didn't want to see their normal resumes because normally the resumes we get are a selection of CAD drawings and things from university projects or high school projects and, and everything else. And once you've seen one, you've seen them all because they're all doing the same criteria. They're all taking the same assessment. Uh, their designs will be different, but their delivery is always the same. So sort of struck upon the idea of getting them to do a Who Am I resume where we said to them in the initial conversations is what we want to see is you on the paper. I don't care about whether you can draw or I don't, not interested in how many projects you've done and group projects and product development. That's not my concern. If you're coming into our creative team, I need to understand who you are as a creative. So it was a little bit confusing for some of them and, you know, we were having conversations. One of the early uh, successful uh, people within emerging designers 
uh, I was talking to her and she was, I was saying, look, what do you do in your life? Or what are some of your hobbies? And the first thing she said was cake decorating. And I said to her, well, that's design. That's a thing. Like, we'd really love to see some examples of what you do there. What do you listen to in music? Do you draw? Do you take photos? Anything at all. So the first three uh, entrants, uh, Jane, Brianna and Bethany, sent me back three of the most amazingly diverse who are my resumes that I didn't expect to get. Um, they all came from very different backgrounds, one interior, one architectural, and, and one from film, uh, design courses, three different universities. Uh, and it was amazing just the way they portrayed themselves when we gave them the freedom just to talk about themselves without a criteria. Uh, one in particular uh, was the presentation, uh, beautiful beautifully designed, but on the front page had three different CD covers and three different songs, and they asked us to listen to one of those songs while we read through the resume. Okay, fair enough. You're, you're taking me on the journey. I'll, I'll do that. Headphones, put the song on, had a look, and it was a really lovely experience looking through their Who Am I resume, listening to that song. And then I went back and, and listened to the second song that they'd suggested, and it was a completely different experience. And then the third song, again, a completely different experience. They thought beyond a criteria and thought, how can I change this experience? And I've never been presented to like that before. And it was really effective, really engaged me and gave me a really clear understanding of who this person could be within a creative team. You know, we've been given uh, illustrated comic books, um, all sorts of different things in order for people to engage with the, the designers. And the amazing thing about bringing them together in the two intakes we've had. Uh, all have been women. Uh, they have been an amazing group of designers. But in a four-week period, bringing three complete strangers from three complete backgrounds, putting them together, giving them some uh, leadership and direction and a brief and the access to the skill base available within the companies, by the end of it, the presentations that were being put to us were mind-blowing. Uh, and the drive between these women was was amazing and, and really uh, blew me away and, and gave me a lot of faith in the fact that given the right direction, given the right opportunity, this industry will thrive. We've just got to put aside what we thought was the right way to do things and start to engage in a, in a different way. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been amazing. Uh, the first project uh, that was presented uh, to us has now become a product that we hire called Morph. Uh, a big drive behind the Emerging Designers Program is to look at sustainable uh, work practices. So everything within the designs has to be a sustainable product, environmentally friendly, and that goes down to fixings, uh, finishes, the whole box and dice. And uh, we encourage them to do you know, full research in, in every layer of the project to a, a finished design delivery. And uh, some of the outcomes have been really strange that, again, I would never have expected is that these groups of young women have come into my business, have done a project and educated my staff. Some of these guys have been working in the industry for 20 or 30 or 40 years and they're coming up to me post the event and saying, I'd really like to be more involved in the Emerging Designers Program because of, because of what I've learnt in this first intake or in this second intake. And for a crusty old set, builder to turn around and say they're learning something in that way uh, truly blew me away but again their interaction their understanding and it's started to fundamentally change the nature of the way our businesses work and will continue to work into the future.
Yes, so when you first announced to your team at Iceworks that you're moving forward with the uh, Emerging Designers Program, not everyone was on board by the sounds of things. No, not really, but I think the, from working with me for a long time, people get used to the fact that I'm going to throw some things throw in the, the odd, Throw the odd curveball in there to, to keep them on their toes. Well, look, I think it's important. You know, I'm not, I'm not one to necessarily take the standard path, sometimes to my detriment, but other times to my success. So, uh, yeah, like anything, presenting something like that into a mix in a commercial business uh, can be difficult to take on, but it didn't take long. As soon as the the first intake in particular, as soon as the girls hit their strides and really started to present the work down the line and ask questions, there was buy-in by everyone, in particular the, the design team, because I think it showed that uh, for them, for our business to grow, we needed to have people like this around us. You know, if we're going to continue to expand and get into new areas and look at new things, we can't just rely on the team we have. We need other people to be able to plug in. And because it's not a thing that you can just go, right, this graduate from this university is going to perfectly fit into our space, uh, we need to find a way to uh, mentor and build our own program that then feeds into us or other companies. And at the end of the day, if we've got the ability to create better outcomes for these kids, hopefully what it means is the industry as a whole benefits absolutely i'd uh, really welcome the opportunity for you to come back jason and host a podcast if you're willing with the uh probably whether it be the first intake or the second intake completely up to you or a combination of both of those that have gone through the program so you can all have a little bit of a chat chat and share with your audience um you know what that experience was for them as well absolutely no i, th- I think they'd be well keen um i think if we had all six of them on at once it could be uh, a, a two and a half hour podcast <laughs> so we might break it into intakes just to make it uh, a little bit more sensible time wise we'll leave the selection up to you Thank you let you. us know when you're ready to go not a problem okay so working with a lot of teachers so you mentioned when you're talking you know several minutes ago that um you work with a lot of dance teachers what does that involve as uh, those of you who work within the dance industry will know that at the between October and December every year is dance school season, uh, and that's been our biggest interaction with, in particular with JLX. Iceworks does you know some little set builds and things for some dance companies, but no, from the late '80s through till now, the last two or three months of the year, uh, you're nine times out of ten working on some form of dance performance. Uh, and again, that's you know I've worked within you know ballet and dance in a in a professional sense uh, in years gone by. But um, the dance schools are a very specific uh, experience. Uh, what it does for you as a lighting operator, in particular, is teaches you how to make something look good very quickly. Um, uh, over the years, I've had a lot of varied experiences with dance school teachers that have been extremely organised and and uh, well-versed in what needs to be done technically. And then I've also had relationships with dance school teachers that uh, have spent more time yelling at their kids and us than uh, actually bothering about the end result. Um, you know, the world's made up of all types. But the ones that get it, the, the dance schools that are organised and talk to the technicians and operators prior and realise that the technician's only reason to be is to make them look good to make them understand that 
you know, if you want the lights to do this during your piece and everything else, have the conversation with the operator. Sit down with the operator and, you know, spend five minutes having a look and understanding. And, and for the operator, it's really important to understand that these dance school teachers have been working for months and months and months to deliver sometimes up to three or 400 kids on stage in a really short space of time. So where you may have normally in a theatre show or other things, plenty of time to plot and rehearse and, and do all of those things. In these instances, across these weekends, this time of year, you have to bring every single trick you have ever learned and every single <laughs> uh, piece of good communication you've ever learned to be able to, to help these teachers deliver this thing because it's a, it's a huge thing for them. It's their entire year, and they're you know they're commercial businesses. They need to create a, a great DVD for the parents to take home. So the reason a DVD looks good is because the lighting uh, operator has taken the time to understand not only what it needs to look from a performance standpoint, but also what it needs to look like from a camera standpoint as well, and find a balance between the oh, two. Oh, of things. course, yeah, because it's, there's there's the whole you know DVD and parents and audiences absolutely you know buying that particular concert, and then some of some of these concerts because some of the schools are so big, it's not only a season that they're working on. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And again, when you've only got a short amount of time, like you're delivering these shows across one weekend, you might have a, a day of rehearsal and then a day of shows or two days of shows. Um, so you, you've really got to be on your game and it's a really good training ground for young operators. So, for instance, you know, as I was talking about before, young uh, Jasmine who's just started working for us, uh, she had her first run uh, leading into the end of 2019 uh, with her first set of uh, dance schools. And after, you know, probably freaking out during the first couple and we had, we had a lot of, the, you know, the other crew around her to, to help her out. But she, she herself said at the end of it, which I think is a true testament to the nature of the way our crew uh, help these young technicians is normally prior to this experience, by the first 20 minutes in of dealing with a dance school teacher or in that sort of situation, she'd be in the corner in the fetal position rocking and groaning gently. <laughs> but by the end of it, she said she understood what we've been telling her about, you know, pick the go-to things that you need to be able to deliver for a school teacher. The, the teachers are going to ask for a specific set of, set of things, whether it's a pattern on a psych or a colour on the floor or a pattern on the floor or front light, side light, and have all of those things ready to go and be ready because you're going to have, on average, maybe six or seven minutes per song to be able to plot something that's going to use and then if you take good notes, then you're going to have time to make things work at the end of it. Uh, and... She really embraced it and was getting some beautiful feedback from some of the teachers at the end of the run. And and they're the things... It's it's a very different market, isn't it? So, I mean, you work in major corporate and broadcast and then, you know, you're across in festival and theatre and then, you know, working with, um, you know, schools and and a variety of subjects. It's really quite broad. Yeah, absolutely. And you've you've got to be ready. And and that's the nature of needing to be agile within the space technically because you're working with so many different uh, outcomes all the time. But in particular with the the dance schools, there's one, and I have to shout out because they are my favourite dance school. Uh, It's a local (laughs) Brisbane dance school called Silhouette. Uh, We've been working with them on and off for about the last five or six years. And out of the last 30 odd years of doing dance schools. They are the most organised. They have a really great vibe among parents and kids and everything else and their shows are always really positive and it's one of the few schools that I electively go back and now being at the stage of my career that I am and spending more time running the businesses than doing the job, um, it's the only dance show that I operate 
every year now. Oh, but so you schedule yourself onto that one? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's just a really it's a really good experience, and it's just something I thoroughly enjoy because of the nature of having to come up with something that looks interesting, works on camera. It's not. You know, it's not a main show at QPAC. It's not a main show at the Melbourne Arts Centre. It's none of those things. It's at Logan Entertainment Centre on a Saturday and Sunday delivering for audiences of really eager parents. But the nature of the way they've built their school, the nature of the way they interact with their kids, uh, all of those things, and the freedom that they give us creatively uh, is just really enjoyable. And it's something that I think I'll do for as long as they allow me to do it. Uh, it's just that sort of relationship. And to talking to hopefully the other teachers that are, are listening to this, building a relationship with people like us creates that enthusiasm. You know, taking the time to get to know who we are, we will create a better show for you if that conversation is open uh, and you're building a friendship over time because, you know, again, uh, a creative relationship isn't based on, you know, a dollar figure or anything else. It's about me understanding what they need and then being able to deliver that. So working with teachers and, you know, teachers do so much in our classrooms. I, I say all the time that, you know, they are the first group of people that support our needs, introduce us to creativity, um, put us on a path to where our, our careers and our, and our passions, you know, as we move into adulthood go. Teachers working for those that, that want to move into, you know, different areas of creativity in, in performing arts, what, what would be some, some um, key, maybe give us two or three key things that are really important um, to support teachers, to support students? Probably the biggest thing is uh, communication. You know, the, the industry moves so fast, technology moves so fast, thought processes, methodologies, all of those things. Um, we've started working with a couple of schools uh, within their careers programs where they're inviting us out to come and have a chat to their teachers when they do their, again, I'm not a teacher, so I don't know what it's called, but a professional development session where they get all of the teachers from a specific area. They bring some people from industry just to go, hey, these are the sort of things we're teaching. What do you think? And if, if schools turn around and, and, and ring people like us, we're more than happy to come out and help them uh, see what, we're doing currently the nature of where the technology is going, uh, the nature of what other schools are doing, because we interact with huge amounts of schools, uh, both you know, public and private, all sorts of people in those spaces. So we see a lot of different approaches to the nature of teaching within this space as well. Uh, so no, I, the biggest thing is, is, is interaction. And, and don't be afraid. Get on the phone and Talk to some people. You might not necessarily get the answer you want every time, but I guarantee you there's a, a section within the industry uh, everywhere around the country uh, that would be very keen in talking to teachers about what we need as an industry coming out the other side and how the, the, the foundation of those things can be built at high school and then into university and then out into the industry itself. Because quite often in my conversations with teachers, they'll actually say, you know, what, is, what does industry need? What are they looking for? And they might be in high school education knowing that they have a handful of students that are interested in particular things in the performing arts that will either go on and develop their own careers or they'll go through the university and then they'll go out and work. And it's a really interesting. So to hear teachers go, oh, you know, what, what is industry looking for? How can we support their students is, is just, you know, inspiring to see. So if they can connect and, and chat to industry, it's really um, an important way forward for them. So 
we look forward to sharing more of those thoughts maybe on another podcast you can hold for us down the track. How many do I have to do? Well, I don't know, but I'm certainly booking these in as I'm talking to you. Um, Your advice for students now, whether they be in, you know, still in secondary school, they might be in university, someone who's in the industry across design, across technical production, what is your advice for students wanting to work towards a career in the performing arts and in particular those that want to work behind the curtain? Be yourself is the most important thing. Don't, don't, Don't sell yourself on something that you're not... The nature of all of the people within the technical and design and build areas is it's an enormously diverse group of individuals. There's no single framework someone needs to, to fit within. Um, it's super important. Get out and see shows. Get out and talk to people. Get out and meet people. Um, I'm always around. You can come and meet me. And I know, I know our crew are the same. Um, the, the best way to understand uh, this thing as a job is to... Is to Interact, see shows, go to festivals, uh, go to community days, go to anything you can get onto, you know, partake in amateur theatre, uh, whatever it is, any interaction is a good interaction. And if it excites you, you'll know. Because uh, if it excites you on the most base level, it'll excite you all the way to the to the other end. Uh, it's, it's super important to understand as well that in particular within the backstage areas, there's, uh, there's a need that... Uh, it's not the most glamorous job in the world. You work long hours. You work uh, away from family and friends. When your mates are going out and having fun on a Friday night, you're most likely gigging uh, at that point. You do make friends with a lot of people who work in hospitality because they have the same hours as you. Um, but the big thing is to understand that the rewards at the end, are not only personally from the people that you meet and the experiences that you have, but professionally as well, uh, there's nothing I like more than you, you're sitting in a room and you, you push, go on a on a really nice lighting cue that you know looks good, and you hear an audible response from the from the audience watching. Uh, they're the little things that, after doing this for as long as I have, that that's truly what I enjoy and, and cherish the most. And uh, yeah, I would hope that more people want to have those sorts of experiences. And. Because of the the nature of the work and the long hours and sometimes you're away from home and, and like as you just said, quite often, you know, people are, you know, your mates are out at having a, a Friday night beverage and catching up and you're on a gig and you're setting up or you're tuning in and, and you're really with your work family. What would, what are your thoughts and some, um, some way forwards with people, especially in regards to technical production? It's discussed all the time with mental health and taking care of yourself in our industry. Burnout is a really big thing and when you do start in the industry quite often you're freelancing you're working across multiple contracts until you secure yourself a position and that can be quite overwhelming for a young person just kicking off an industry yeah absolutely you need to learn some really uh, important lessons early on time management is a big thing uh, the, you know, the rules within the industry, uh, you need a 10-hour break between shifts. Now, when you're a freelancer and you're working for lots of different people, the, the individual employers aren't going to know that you were doing a load out the night before and you're going in for a load in at 6am the, the morning after. You need to know that just as the industry has that rule, you should make that rule for yourself. Uh, don't push yourself too hard. It's not a sprint, this job. It's a marathon. You're not going to answer every question. You're not going to get every gig when you start out. The big thing is is to get as many experiences as you can, but the best way to benefit from those experiences is to be awake, uh, rested, uh, fed, uh, and ready to go. 
Uh, if you're turning up because you've been doing shift after shift after shift, uh, then you're not going to get the most out. And also we work in a pretty dangerous industry. There's you know, lots of things that can hurt you. And if you're not alert and ready to go, you can not only put yourself in harm's way, but you could also be putting others in harm's way. It's a really difficult thing. And you know, when we were young, we were doing lots of stupid things, not sleeping a lot and working as much as we could. Uh, there's obviously a financial need to be able to pay the rent, put the fuel in the car and all of those things. But if you want to survive for a long period of time within the industry and not burn out, you need to take the time to manage your time well uh, and understand where your limits are. Uh, because you'll find that if employers see you doing those things and being sensible, it makes you a much more attractive prospect to come on as a full-time employee uh, within those spaces because they know you understand how to maintain yourself which means you'll be able to work harder for longer. And like all things, as you're you know, moving through different groups of people, you're really finding your tribe and your family. You start to work out who you're connecting with, um, what your style of work is and, and which way you want to move forward. So taking care of yourself and, and staying open to what's around you and where you fit is really important. And that's part of, you know, I think, your, your mental health and, and your care moving forward as well. Absolutely. And, and understand that regardless of whether you're new in the mix, or you've been around for a long time, there are always people around you that will be willing to listen. Uh, you need to talk. You need to unload the things that might be weighing down upon you. Um, you know, I've, I've had enough people uh, over my career that have left this mortal coil, uh, possibly because they weren't getting the support they needed or weren't willing to talk or whatever it might have been. And uh, it's really important for you as an individual to understand that every now and again talking to someone, it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Uh, but also the people in that circle. If you see someone um, that might not be necessarily travelling as they normally do or looking as well as they normally do, take five minutes just to see how they are. It, it's not complicated, it's not difficult. Uh, again, it gets back to the thought process of why Jason and I started JLX in the first place, where the people are the asset, not the equipment. Uh, and to maintain that asset, you need to be engaged. You need to understand how that person is, how they operate, what they need, um, and find a way to, to bring them along with everybody else. Thank you so much for your time today, Jason. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you about all things technical production and design, and we look forward to you returning to the microphone in the near future with a couple of topics that have been raised today, which would be just super awesome. To our audience out there, just so you're aware, you can find Jason at JLX Productions. It's www.jlx.com.au and iceworksdesign.com. Com. Um, especially for when you move forward for the next Emerging Designers Program, there might be some students and teachers out there that are interested in putting forth some applications, which would be super cool to see. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day, afternoon or evening, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the APADA podcast.